we all will be together if the fates allow. So hang a shining star upon the highest bow. And have yourself a merry little Christmas now. Welcome to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and CFRC.ca. I'm your host, Timmy G, providing your weekly dose of insight and inspiration for mental and emotional well-being. Are you ready for your weekly brain bath? Let's go. Mental health news from around the globe. And this from CTV News, BC's mental health detention system violating charter rights. Report author Laura Johnston, a lawyer with the Community Legal Assistance Society, says the problems with the Provincial Mental Health Act include people in care being put in solitary confinement or involuntarily given treatments like electroconvulsive therapy. The report also found that female patients routinely have their clothes removed by male staff, doctors can make detention decisions without conducting in-person exams, and there is no legal aid for patients needing advice on their detention. Johnson says despite issues with the system, mental health detention, uh, detentions in BC have jumped over the past decade, and about 20,000 people are now involuntarily detained each year. She says the number of voluntary mental health admissions has remained essentially unchanged over the same period. The report calls for an independent commission to overhaul the Mental Health Act and makes a number of recommendations, including better training for healthcare providers. Our mental health system is increasingly interacting with people with mental health problems in an adversarial way by removing their rights, Johnson says, rather than in a voluntary way that promotes autonomy and collaboration in the recovery process. She also mentions that we need to ask why this is happening and take a hard look at what is going on in this particular detention system. Let's get personal, our talk feature interview. Today we are speaking with Paul Renaud. Paul is originally from Smith Falls, currently living in Caring Place, 
and he's the president of Fighting the Truth. Paul, thanks again for being with us today. Good morning, Tim, and thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's a beautiful day out here. So, Fighting the Truth, what is that, and how did it get started? It is a nonprofit mental health company, and it uh, got started uh, in 2014, unfortunately, when a, uh, a young hockey player uh, chose to uh, end his life, um, and uh, Terry Trafford was his name, and it'll never be forgotten uh, why we, we got this started, uh, that's for sure, and uh, we decided there's a few of us hockey guys uh, that decided that we needed to uh, reach out to uh, the young kids and, and start this uh, company. Um, so that we can help uh, youth in sports. And it's actually turned into bigger than just youth in sports. It's now helping so many other people. And the company's been fortunate enough to uh, to help uh, several people um, who were, were seriously uh, on the verge of, uh, of suicide and have turned their lives around um, by helping them not uh, do that and get them counseling and and uh, very very fortunate for for us and for them that uh, we've been able to do that and you have a personal stake in this whole uh, line of work as well well yeah i have my own uh, personal traumas that i've gone through from uh, child abandonment to uh to severe head trauma, to uh, sexual and physical abuse, to viral meningitis, to divorce, uh, twice as a child. All those traumas uh, add up to uh, using drugs and alcohol to, to mask the problem. Uh, you know, I, I used uh, drugs uh, at a very young age, uh, starting at the age of 13, um, and uh, at the age of 15 was on drugs, uh, playing hockey, and uh, uh, screwed up an opportunity to uh, to possibly be drafted in the OHL and and then uh, unfortunately turned to alcohol at the age of 15 and uh, continued to drink and uh, you know again messed up the opportunity to uh, take a refereeing career much further than it has gone um, to this date uh, but I am fortunate that I still am refereeing hockey and I, I am doing it at a high level and and certainly am thankful for where I am today. And, and now with the abuse, at what point did you realize that you needed to deal with that? Well, unfortunately, it wasn't until uh, November uh, 1st, uh, 2009. Um, I got a book, um, which was Feel Furry, um, Playing With Fire. Um, I was actually supposed to get the book for Christmas, and I actually got it for my birthday instead, and it was November 3rd that I broke down and finally uh, decided it was time to to share my story and and, uh, and tell my story. Um, and the following week, I was in therapy. And and you've you've mentioned before to me that, and I found this quite quite interesting and quite fascinating at the same time that that you went through a period of of you know not wanting to be alone that you'd be driving home after a certain type of event and and you didn't want to go home can you shed some light on that for us life i didn't want to be alone with my own thoughts of what i was battling and what i was dealing with i didn't want to share it with anybody um which you know is, is unfortunate because i wish i would have shared it a long time ago because of where i am today um, it certainly allows you to become a, a better person once you share your story and get it off your chest. And as much as you know we're on an island or, or we feel like we're on an island and we think nobody will understand or nobody will care, um, it's so far from the truth because uh, 
you know, all my friends who didn't know and um, my family that didn't know certainly have rallied around uh, what I'm doing and are very supportive. And now I'm really curious about this with we've we've seen, I think, and and been more exposed to the statistics around, you know, young girls and women with sexual harassment and, and rape and all that type of thing. With the work that you're doing, do you find that you're dealing with more more boys and men uh, given this line of work or is it a variety, men, men and women? Uh, yeah, no, it, you know, in all fairness, um, more men are coming out, but uh, it's not necessarily boys coming out, it's men coming out at, you know, between the age of 30 and 50, uh, I would say. And the reason being is because they start having families and their kids start to grow and as their kids get closer to the time where they dealt with or had trauma that's when they go "Uh oh i haven't dealt with my trauma and now how am i going to help my child or how can i protect my child from going through the same trauma i went through so again when i came out um you know uh with my own story my daughter was 13 exactly where my sexual and physical abuse stopped so um again and, and many people i've talked to many men it seems that their traumas when they come out is when their kids are hitting that age or around that age when they were dealing with their traumas um and ha- you know and, and and receiving their traumas and, and didn't know what to do about it and now i'm like i need to protect my child but how do i do that so now i have to help myself first and so then they have to deal with their stories in order for them to make sure that their kids don't go through the same things. Can you can you comment for us on the importance of from your your vantage point, parents and, and adults dealing with their own stuff so that they don't pass that directly or indirectly onto their kids? Well, it's very huge because you know again not dealing with your stuff. It festers. It's it's uh, it's it's bubbling inside. It's hurricane inside you, and and unfortunately, when that happens, you explode. And with being angry because you haven't dealt with the traumas, you end up taking it out on your kids or your spouse or whoever happens to be in the way at the time. So it's very very important to deal with your stories uh, and your traumas so that you can be clean, clear thought process. You know. Um, so that you can make sure that you're not passing this down on the top of your kids because they're going to deal with enough traumas as it is. Um, you know, it's a cruel, it's a cruel world we live in out here. Um, you know, whether you know we have all the drugs on the streets from fentanyl to you know, uh, again, you know, one wrong step could end somebody's life with street drugs, and it, it's it's scary. It, it's a, a you know, I've been asked many times like. What was it like when you were, you know, doing drugs as a child? I said, not like it is today. At least I knew I was safe, even though, you know, I might be doing something. At least I knew I wasn't going to die. These kids today, the one wrong step, and unfortunately your life's ended, even though you're, all you're trying to do is have a little fun or trying to, you know, maybe end, you know, end the pain uh, that you're dealing with because you don't feel like you have anyone to talk to. Mm-hmm. And, and how, as you went through counseling and your, your own healing process, how important was forgiveness along that journey? Well, forgiveness is absolutely number one, because if you cannot forgive uh, the individuals or, you know, 
responsible for your trauma, um, your life will never be as good as it should be. Um, because you'll always carry that anger and that, you know, that, um, uh, harbor that towards your, your perpetrators or the people that, uh, have caused this uh, hurt in your life. Um, you have to forgive, uh, for me, like I yeah, forgave my perpetrator. I sat down and, and had a conversation with him. Um, and fortunately, you know, he took it very serious because he cleaned up his own life. He got off the drugs, got off alcohol. And as far as I know, he's been clean for over six years now, which is again, awesome to him. Good for him. He needs, uh, he needs to, you know, move on, uh, in his own life, understanding that in order for him to do what he did to me, he probably had it done to him. And this is the process we all have to understand because it takes seven generations to break the abuse cycle. That's uh, over a thousand people affected by this. Wow. So, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's understanding. And this is why I can forgive is because I understand the, the process and what the thought process and why this is going on and why it happens. Again, back then I didn't understand. I certainly do now as, as much older adult and obviously through therapy and stuff, you get to understand that I've forgiven, you know, any role that, you know, my mom played, in, you know, in, in the child abandonment part. Uh, you know, I've forgiven my father for the divorces and, and the upheaval and stuff. And you have to, uh, uh, in order to become the person that you want to become, which is the best person that you could be for yourself and loving yourself. you got to love yourself first before you can love anything else. I'd love for you to comment on, on the... I guess the evolving nature of of dignity and self-respect, your relationship to those two things as you've moved from where you were to where you are today. Well, back there, you know, when you're dealing with, uh, you're hiding and you're not talking about your traumas, um, you don't respect anybody, including yourself, um, because you really don't know what's right or what's wrong. And, and, you know, you don't understand what's going on inside you just know that you know you're emotionally a mess and 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 uh you know you end up making bad decisions and and so on and so forth um which just compounds everything that's going on um once you get rid of all of that and you rebuild yourself to love yourself and you respect yourself then you know the world looks so much brighter and and, and you respect people so much more and you live your life with dignity um and not with uh, anger and out to hurt people. Paul, how did being abused by a male affect you? Uh, well, I mean, it affected me uh, in the sense that uh, I, I, you know, uh, I honestly thought, you know, maybe I'm gay, and and uh, you know, like I was very confused. Like, hang on a minute. Um, you know, I'm I'm 11 years old, and and obviously when I stopped, I was 13, and and then, and that's when when I, I really started, you know, having all these uh, unbalanced feelings of, you know, like, you know, being, you know, am I gay or am I really heterosexual or, you know, what am I? And, and of course, um, once I got away from that abuse, um, it was like, okay, now, you know, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not gay, am I? And, and, and of course I started pursuing women and this is when I started having sex at the age of 13, which is very, very young. And, and uh and it just it kept going uh in the regards to pursuing women and and you know um i guess if you really want to call it being that dog uh, of a male 
But for me, it wasn't about being a dog. It was about survival and making sure that, you know, I could keep in my own head that I really wasn't gay. And what happened to me wasn't supposed to happen. And and unfortunately, when you don't have anyone to talk to or you feel you have no one to talk to, and trust me, I was threatened not to talk about it. Um, and so you have that all hanging over your head, you know, as the years go on and on, you know, it, it, you end up living that pattern until you break the silence. And once you break that silence, then you realize, okay, you know, I, I need to become better and I need to live what I guess we all would probably perceive as a normal life in the sense of, you know, having one partner and, and settling down. And, but yeah, so it was a big turmoil for me. It's a natural thing um, to go through this as a male when you're abused by a male. I've talked to many different men. They're, they're absolutely no different. That's very, uh, very interesting. And I mean, I, I really want to commend you and your courage for, for, for sharing your story and for the work that you do. It's, it's critical work. It's so important, so untimely today for, for people, young people that are dealing with mental health issues and, and all the different things that come today with growing up. So um, I really just want to thank you for being here. And uh, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? It's kind of funny. I just got a message last night that, uh, so funny the truth, the webpage is now down. Um, uh, so you can't get a hold of me there um, until it. Uh, we are going to launch something new, um, and we're going to revamp it all, and, and that's in the works. So um, you can get a hold of me by phone um, at 289-688-0490. Uh, Fighting the Truth has a Facebook page, which again, you can certainly get a hold of me on that. Um, and uh, that's a, you know, a great avenue which you can contact me and, and we can certainly uh, share stories and, and understand that any story that is shared with me is 100% confidential. I will not and I'm not allowed to repeat them. Um, so I just want people to understand that and know that it's 100% confidentiality. Uh, for them and they need to have that knowing that they have a safe place to go to uh they can you know somebody that they can relate with that they know that their story will not go any further it's not my story to tell it's their story to tell i have my own story to tell and people need to understand that it is your story it's up to you when you want to tell it and who you want to tell it to thank you so much for this today paul we really appreciate it Thanks, Tim. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, you know, and have a great day. And, and I know that you and I will be in touch uh, as uh, our journeys go uh, go down the uh, the golden path. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, okay, right, catch up soon. All right, we're practicing. All right, take care. All right, thanks, Paul. Bye bye. Bye. It's now time for Music and the Mind, where we spotlight addiction, recovery, and the search for the natural high. You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and CFRC.ca. Our music feature today, we will look at the doors.
It's the 60s. The counterculture is growing. Psychedelics are also on the rise. Jim Morrison is the son of a Navy officer. He's obsessed with Elvis. He attends three different colleges before finally attending film school at UCLA. It is here he will meet Ray Manzarek. As they become friends, they also get familiar with acid. Jim makes one film at UCLA, and he earns a D on this project before moving to New York City. You may be wondering where the name The Doors comes from. So Jim Morrison being a poet, he was following the works of William Blake. And a poem by William Blake goes like this. If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is, infinite. So that is where the name The Doors comes from. So after moving to New York City, Jim moves in with Ray and his girlfriend. It's the summer of 1965, and the Doors are officially born. Ray rents a house, and the band really rehearses all summer. The first hit, Light My Fire, was actually written by Robbie Krieger. Here it is now, The Doors with Light My Fire. You know that I would be a liar If I was to say to you Girl, we couldn't get much higher Come on, baby, light my fire Come on, baby, light my fire Try to set the night on fire The time to hesitate is through no time to wallow in the mire Try now we can only lose And our love become a funeral pyre Come on baby, light my fire Come on baby, light my fire Try to set the night on
CFRC 101.9 FM and CFRC.ca. That was The Doors with Light My Fire, their first hit. First gig they ever played was at a club called the London Fog. They would get noticed and then be hired as the house band at the Whiskey A Go-Go, opening for acts such as the Turtles, Buffalo Springfield, and Van Morrison. Would be here, they would also get discovered by Jack Holzman, founder of Electra Records. He was very impressed by their stage act and their music, and he offered them a three album deal. However, the very next night at the Whiskey A Go Go, Jim Morrison would fail to show up. Where was he? Well, he was shut in at the hotel the band was staying at, completely out of his mind on acid. Band members eventually were able to get him back to the club. Uh, where they wanted uh, Jim wanted to play a song called The End, which is about uh, breaking up with his high school girlfriend. After they play the song The End, the owner of the Whiskey A Go-Go refers to Jim as a sick bastard and fires the band. Within a few weeks, their first album would be produced by Paul Rothschild in as little as five days. To promote the album, Holzman does something that has never been done before. He buys a billboard on the Sunset Strip. Strip, excuse me. Doors release their first single, Break On Through, but it doesn't make it past 106 on the charts. To counter, Holzman quickly releases Light My Fire, before, not before removing the instrumentals out of the track to make it shorter and so that it would be more palatable for radio waves. And in July of 1967, uh, guitarist Robbie Krieger's first song, that he ever wrote hits number one in the U.S. As a result of this early success, royalty checks are paid to each member of the band, totaling $50,000 apiece. Holzman then sends the Doors to New York City, and things really take hold for the band and their career, leading them to an appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show, where they perform... You guessed it, Light My Fire. Now, before the band goes on stage, Sullivan asked them to please take out the word hire 
due to its drug implications. The band agrees, but Jim sings the song exactly as it has been written. So it's been a year or so since Jim could barely face his audience while standing on stage. He would frequently turn his back to the audience as he did in rehearsal, uh, facing the, the other band members. But now, a year later, he's morphed into an entirely different being. The second album, Strange Days, features circus performers on its cover. Described as a rock and roll poet, Jim himself is strange, dangerous, and intelligent. And here from their Strange Days album is People Are Strange. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you're down, when you're strange. Faces come out of the rain when you're strange. No one remembers your name when you're strange. When you're strange, when you're strange People are strange, when you're a stranger Faces look ugly, when you're alone Women seem wicked, when you're unwanted Streets are uneven, when you're down CFRC 101.9 FM and CFRC.ca. That was People Are Strange by The Doors. The Doors are a music feature today, and in 1968, The Who opened for them at the Singer Bowl on Long Island. Their third album, Waiting for the Sun, is dismissed by critics, but fans respond favorably. It reaches number one along with their uh, single, Hello, I Love You. 1968, they also start recording The Soft Parade. But increasingly, Jim arrives at the studio drunk and or high. Guitarist Robbie Krieger, as a result, ends up writing half of the songs on the album. And all the while, the youth movement in the country keeps growing. The country itself is undergoing radical changes. 
Ray Manzarek first thought that LSD was the key to enlightenment, but after a series of bad trips, he attempts to find enlightenment through meditation, as do the other band members. But not Jim. He doesn't stop his drinking and eventually, or his drugging, and eventually goes from psychedelics to booze. The soft parade itself takes 11 months to record, partly because Paul Rothschild, the producer, makes the band do hundreds of takes, searching for perfection. And the mood around the band at this time is tense. The results of Jim's behavior and drinking and drugging, Densmore begins to develop headaches and a series of rashes on his skin. One day, he gets so stressed by everything, he simply walks out of the studio saying, I can't take this anymore. However, he returns the next morning, and they continue recording. Morrison, his behavior on stage becomes increasingly erratic and unpredictable, oftentimes lying drunk on stage while the band does their best with their instruments to keep him aware and alert. The Village Voice chooses Morrison in 1968 as Vocalist of the Year, and the Doors win Best Band. The Soft Parade goes on to Gold, which is their fourth in as many albums. By December 1968, the Doors are being hailed as America's Rolling Stones. Interestingly, around the same time, Jim announces that he's going to quit the band. Everybody is stunned. He says he's tired of the rock and roll game, posing for cameras, and his girlfriend Pamela supports him uh, to instead focus on his poetry. Ray convinces him to give it another six months with the band, but his drinking continues to increase, leaving the members no choice but to confront him directly, which leads to about a week of sobriety. The band is granted a U.S. tour after their early success, 19 City Tour, and they play their first show in Miami. However, Morrison exposes his genitals to the already uh, wild crowd, and the show is stopped before the band barely makes it through four songs. While the Doors head to Hawaii after the uh, show is stopped midway and they board a plane and head to Hawaii for vacation, charges are actually being laid against Morrison back in Dade County, three misdemeanors and a felony for his behavior during the show. Fans are also unimpressed. Radio stations stop playing their music and the remaining dates on their U.S. tour are cancelled. On October 30th, 1969, Morrison is found guilty of profanity and indecent exposure. He is sentenced to four months of hard labor in Dade County Jail. His lawyer, however, appeals the charges, which remain for a period of time uh, tied up in the courts while the band continues to move on and you know, keep playing, keep making music. Their next album, Morrison Hotel, also hits gold, this time in two days. Here is Roadhouse Blues from Morrison Hotel, The Doors, on CFRC 101.9 FM and CFRC.ca.
the doors with roadhouse blues you are listening to cfrc 101.9 fm and cfrc.ca after the band released morrison hotel they followed that up with an album by the name of la woman before it was released jim and his girlfriend pam decided to fly to paris on april 17 1971 just to get away for a while and so jim could focus on his poetry something that his girlfriend pam had always supported and encouraged him to get away from the business and the uh, environment of music just to have a simpler life writing poetry. While they were in Paris, however, he develops a persistent cough, prompting him eventually go, to go to the doctor. After discussing his alcohol use and his different habits with the doctor, the doctor says, you know, you really need to stop drinking. He doesn't, however, and one night after many hours of heavy drinking in Paris, Jim Morrison, at the age of 27, dies in the bathtub. So we could say that it's a tough, tough thing to look at when you're, I, I thought of this when we did the show on, we looked at the Foo Fighters and we looked at Kurt Cobain and, and you know, the, some of the life of Kurt Cobain and just, you know, you don't like to think of it this way, but Dave Grohl going on from Nirvana and the, the success that he's created in his life and with his band, the Foo Fighters, you know, yeah, it makes me wonder anyway sometimes, you know, are some of these things, they just seem, again, I don't like to think of it this way, but it almost seem destiny somehow. Like, had Kurt Cobain not passed away, It's, I mean, we could debate it forever, what, what would have happened, what, whether Nirvana would have stayed together and stuff, but you just think of what has come after that event. Um, I don't know. Sometimes it seems like it's destined, but 
I know that's also not a very healthy way to look at it. So I'm, I'm, I refrain from saying that's what's happening, but um, with these people that are part of the, the 27 club, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, uh, Jim Morrison, Kirk Cobain, and others, it's, um, it's just it's mis very mysterious. But anyway, you are listening to talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and CFRC.ca. No. 
CFRC 101.9 FM and CFRC.ca. That was The Doors with L.A. Woman. Jim Morrison passed away at age 27. Part of the 27th Club. Others like Kurt Cobain, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin. Musical geniuses, some would say, for sure. And yet this darker undercurrent that they just couldn't peel away from the drugs, the alcohol, the the allure of that lifestyle, um, the challenges, the stress, maybe, maybe the loneliness. I've heard, you know, done a, we've done a lot of music features where musicians, lead singers for sure, report this amazing connection with the audience after a performance and then after the show was done, just feeling this incredible feeling of 
just emptiness or loneliness and not knowing how to manage that or, 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 or resolve that within themselves. And as their, their fame grew and their success exploded, being loved by millions and millions of people across the world, and yet having this place with inside themselves that continues to drive them to drugs and alcohol. And uh, it's sad. It's It seems almost predestined, like I said earlier, but I don't know if that's the case. It's, it is what it is. We all have... We all have an expiry date, if you will, or time on earth here, and, and nobody can predict that per se, but for some, it, it almost seems destined, and um, it's not easy, but it's not easy for fans, it's not easy for family members, and I mean, Jim Morrison was definitely a, a different sort of entity altogether. So the band members des- described him a, a, at times as like this, this like shaman, shamanic creature that would, you know, entity that would lead them into new realms. And, um, you know, they themselves determined at at a certain point that the the LSD, the the drugs, the psychedelics, just it was becoming too much. And they turned to uh, meditation to try to seek a form of enlightenment by natural means and not through drugs. And there's a lot of people that are hurting today in, in these times and seeking relief from their own pain, whether that's emotional pain and trauma or just just a, a search for trying to escape the limitations of their body or their mind. And drugs are often chosen to accomplish those ends. And it, I mean, it, it, it never happens. That's I guess that's the reality is that pursuing drugs and alcohol for those ends to try to achieve enlightenment is um, it, it's not a wise path to embark on. And I just want to uh, reiterate, you know, if you're listening now to uh, talk on CFRC 101.9 FM that, you know, if you're dealing with an issue that's challenging today, uh, reach out to somebody family, friend, counselor, walk-in clinic, hospital, pick up the phone. Uh, there's a lot of resources available to you, and it's not it's not worth it to suffer in silence. I, I know it can be hard to reach out. You may feel that you're not worthy of reaching out, but just take that short next step and connect with somebody so that you can begin the the step, take the steps, begin, begin a plan, put a plan in place to work through some of these things that maybe you're carrying, the burdens that you're feeling. Um, it, it just starts with one phone call. So um, thank you for listening today. If you are around next week, it's going to be a, a really interesting show. Our interview is going to be with a woman named Eileen Joyce. She is a holistic nutritionist. Fascinating background, very interesting how she came to doing what she's doing now and the knowledge and the insight that she has. But we're going to look at gut health, how the gut and its health or lack thereof contributes to and drives in many cases mental health and all the different environmental factors that can contribute to that. Eileen's going to 
enlighten us with her knowledge and give us some practical tips that we can implement in our lives uh, to begin to peel back some of the layers of, of, of maybe some things that we haven't thought of yet and in relation to our mental health and depression, anxiety, all of these different things. Uh, it's it's going to be a fascinating interview, so I will be advertising on Facebook. Again, if you have any questions or comments about the show or want to be featured on the show uh, from a professional standpoint or a personal one, share your story, you can email me at info at timothydgauthier.com. That's info at timothydgauthier.com. This has been another edition of Talk with Timmy G on CFRC 101.9 FM and CFRC.ca. If you have any questions or feedback or would like to be featured on the show, please email me at info at timothydgauthier.com. That's info at timothydgauthier.com. Every Thursday from 7 to 8.30, I facilitate a free drop-in group called MindWell. It's a support group for anybody dealing with burnout, stress, anxiety, Again, that's every Thursday from 7 to 8.30. The address, 1111 Taylor Kidd Boulevard at St. Paul the Apostle. Till next week, be smart, be safe. <laughs>